te pūrere hua Te wārawa ki rungāra Kia ora and welcome to Oho RK Books. My name is Farayus Lysander. I want to talk about book trailers. Now when I first started making book trailers and Spirit told me to do that in 2008, there wasn't really any book trailers that I had seen, like literally none online on YouTube, nothing. This is like, what, 13, 14 years ago. I had seen nothing online. No book trailers, nothing, nada. So when Spirit told me to make book trailers for my books, I was like, fuck yeah, because I love movie trailers and TV trailers, like really good ones, not, not shit ones, but really good ones. I love them, I love them. So I thought, oh my God, what a brilliant idea. Rather than having a synopsis for these books, I'm going to create book trailers. This is my jam, man. This is my jam. And I've conceptualized, produced, directed all the book trailers that I've made for all the books thus far and will continue to do so as I still buy, write books, you know, <laughs> writing books as these parts of myself, multidimensional parts of myself that exist, other levels of existence that overlay with me. Some of them I'm definitely putting to bed. <laughs> so to speak some of them I'm definitely letting go of and they will no longer have a, a voice in my life because I feel as though they, they've healed as much as I have as well and wherever they whatever level of existence they're existing on they've healed and so have I so our integration experience is complete so book trailers the first book trailer I envisioned was entwined now I have talked about this before in regards to who I work with and how this all happened. But Kristen McNeil, a friend of mine, who was, was doing um, an animation and video editing media production course many, many years ago. A guy I first met when I got back to New Zealand at a party. And Adam's Terrace while I was living in this shithole that had it like, and even in the summertime, it had like an hour of sunshine. We used to all scamper out the front of the house to sit in this hour of sunshine when we were living there. This is my first house I lived in. I got back to New Zealand from Vancouver, and it was a fucking fridge. It was horrendous. I mean, I'm glad we got, I got out of there and moved to the factory in Priory Street, Mount Victoria. It was like moving from hell to heaven. <laughs> it was just the other side of town, literally across the other side of the valley. But it was heavenly, living in the factory compared to, compared to Adam's Terrace. Oh, my God. But, uh, yeah, I um, Preston McNeil came to a party. We both had on the same girl. And he um, managed to hook up with her, and I didn't. And we became friends after the incident. <laughs> and he went through animating and media media school and became a brilliant animator and a brilliant video editor and a brilliant content editor and just brilliant whatever he does, really, in regards to all forms of media. And his company now, Executive Beige, is simply that, the executive. He works from some very high-end clients doing some amazing work, and with his family too, he does some amazing work with Executive Beige, with his young family, traveling around the country, making videos of them traveling around the country together, and speaking in Tadreo Māori, and in English, quite beautiful. But Preston, I approached him and said, look, I want to do this, do this book trailer for my book, Entwined, that I just finished writing, and I want to animate it, I want to have an animation uh, for this book trailer, I want to do a synopsis, of my book as a book trailer, like a TV trailer, movie trailer. He'd never heard of this before. I mean, wow, that's a really outrageous idea. I love it. Let's do it. 
So him and his partner at the time, Jeremy, this is Mo Fresh, this is a long time ago, 2008, when they were still called Mo Fresh and Jeremy was still in the country. They got on board with me and we uh, workshopped and storyboarded the synopsis. And of course, with the synopsis came the animations, the storyboarding. And then I approached a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, James Jackson, who was a sound engineer, to do the sound for the book trailer and to also do one of the voiceovers for that book trailer too. And he got on board and did the sound engineering for us. I did one of the voices. I did Pablo Wydra's voice. I did his voiceover. I asked my voice to be deeper, deeper and more baritone. And Jacko um, <laughs> did a really amazing job on that and made my voice almost unrecognizable, shall we say? <laughs> Wishful thinking made my voice somewhat unrecognizable <laughs> in, my, in my Spanish accent. And so I did Pablo's voice, voiceover, and Jacko did Lord Buford Somerset's voice. Buford Somerset, who becomes Lord Buford Somerset's. Uh, voiceover, he did, a, he did a stellar job, stellar. So the book trailer was, he did the soundtrack for it too, he did the soundtrack for it and, and Twine as well, he gave me the, the soundtrack, and it was, a, it was beautiful. And of course, he did, with the sound engineering, Jacko brought in all the elements, all the, all the different sounds that had to come into that trailer in particular scenes. So this was, was basically the synopsis of the book, created into a trailer. And I hadn't seen anything at that time, that was really worth its its weight and its weight and salt or in gold. That was anything like this. When I first brought this trailer out and showed it to people, they were just dumbfounded. They were just like, "Oh my god, this is next fucking level!" And the animation was great. It was very uh, simple and very, but yeah, very effective. It wasn't full blown animation. It was quite quite cartoonish in the sense that it was. It wasn't a full animation like you'd see, like in a, like which we see in United later on, which is full animation and spectacular in its content and also in the way it's portrayed as well. And, and the, the imagery in that one and in, in United's trailer is the next level. It's the next level for Oho Arcade Books. But Entwined was a beautiful trailer, very powerful, very emotive. And it gave the person who watched it the visual the visual context of what the book was about a little bit. It kind of gave it gave the idea that two people had odysseys across the world to get to certain locations, and you saw young people, a young Pablo go from a boy to a man, and you saw him go from South America to to Uruguay National Park in a very beautiful and powerful way. And of course, his journey in that book trailer is a scene from the book. A very powerful scene. This is what I do with my book trailers. I look at, apart from the short story book trailers, which are completely different, I wanted to go somewhere different with these, but with the book trailers for Entwined and United, I wanted to take fragments of the character's arc, story arc, and probably the most poignant moments, the most probably the most important moments of the character's arc and the story, and then illuminate them with motion and with visual context and I did that with Entwined I brought a story to life in that trailer and I was thrilled with it of course but I put it online and not many people saw it on YouTube because I didn't really do a lot of marketing with it I just, I just threw it out there you know, my website was on there as well I didn't market it at all you know, I did, this, is my, this is the point I was making many podcasts ago I did no marketing whatsoever for the books I haven't done until now. 
I'm starting to market them again. We're in the process of getting ready to do it and go full gangbusters on it. But the trailer was finished and I was absolutely stoked with it, thrilled with it. It was out there in the world. I birthed it, I created it, I done everything, produced it, conceptualized it, produced it, directed it, art direction, everything. I'd done it all. I was thrilled with it. That was the first book trailer I did. Now, cut to a couple of years later, I had written four collections of short stories then when I got to do the, the trailers for the four collections of short stories I'd written at the time. I, I decided to do four short story collections, book trailers, for the cost of doing one, because the cost of doing that entwined book trailer was extensive and was quite expensive and extensive <laughs> extensive and expensive uh, to, in regards to my my capital, which I sunk into it and not to see anything come out of it. So I decided to get my friend, my new friend, Sean Wilger, who had come over with his partner, Ali Williamson from Brighton in the UK, moved to New Zealand. I asked him to give me a hand to do some book trailers. Now, Sean's video editing work and his work filming abroad for various channels and various stations and networks in the, in the UK and in Europe and South Africa all speak for themselves. He's been, he's been there, done that. Amazing, amazing editor, uh, videographer, uh, filmmaker, documentary maker. And I said to him, look, I want to do these book trailers. I want to keep the cost down. I want to get out from behind the camera, from behind the curtain and come forward and, and people can understand that I wrote these books. And I can talk about them freely. I come out from behind the camera, even though I'm really camera shy. I'll, I'll take my place. You know, I'll talk 100 miles an hour and no one will understand what I'm saying or what I'm talking about. Have no idea at all unless they've read Entwined or unless they've watched this book trailer from Through Entwined. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But um, it's okay. I want to do this. This is what feels right. So I was around at his place in Evans Bay, on one of the bays around Evans Bay here in Wellington, on the Murma, facing the Murmur Peninsula, on his house, this beautiful house he was at for about two years. Amazing property. Incredible, really. And I was up in there um, sitting in a chair. He said, well, how about this? He said to me, how about we just leave you in that chair there and I film you talking about these books, these four books, and you can do an excerpt or talk about how what the characters have gone through and what the stories are about or what, what how the characters, the writers have developed, what they've where they've got to in their lives and about this, the books themselves. And you like, do a synopsis for each of the books, talk about them, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll overlay the images that Stephen Templer has done of the authors with also the book covers and find a way to throw some other little bits and pieces in there that sort of fill in the narrative but also go along with the with the with the, what you're saying and, and kind of give a visual visual context to what you're saying about these books. So I thought, brilliant idea. Fantastic. Wonderful. So I sat in a chair, this beautiful, comfortable chair, um, looking like a like a deer in headlights. <laughs> and I rambled. I absolutely fucking rambled about these books, waxed lyrical about these short stories, about the authors and what they've gone through to, to create these books. And uh, I, you know, I don't remember much. What I, what I, I don't remember any of the dialogue or what I said. I basically just winged it. <laughs> and the real art in those book trailers is Sean's work. I mean, I was trying to do my best to describe what these what these authors 
Ablo Wairoa and Lord Buford Somerset had gone through in regards to the first book, first two books of their collections, The Light Guides the Way, The Darkness Holds Sway, because what we had there was a situation where these two authors had, had interactions, the characters had had interactions in Entwined, and at the end of Entwined, they both become authors, and they both started to write these short stories. Hence, Entwined was the first book that both characters, Pablo Wairua and Lord Buford Somerset, who was Buford Somerset before um, the beginning of that book uh, of uh, Entwined, by, by the end of it becomes a lord, an aristocratic lord, in Peerage in, in the UK. But the histories, well, history, Buford's history is detailed in that book, and the ruse is basically telling you my perception of who controls behind the curtain of society, of, the, of this planet, who's the ruling force, where they come from, how they got here, and the history of the galaxy, which Buford finds out about. And unfortunately, his place in that, in that melee, so to speak, and why he's been led on this ruse for all, all, most, of his, well, most of his adult life, really, to, fight, to discover this horrible truth, which is my, me, as I said before once <laughs> in a video cast, me doing my best to detail all the information I'd learned of about 20 years of conscious awakening <laughs> into one book. No chance, but I did my best. I did my best. And poor old Buford goes on that, on that uh, expedition and finds out he does all the work for me. He, goes, he crosses across many continents, many countries, and ends up in Ethiopia in the Simeon Mountains where he meets an interdimensional, the last of his kind, called Jumanju, who shows him the history of this galaxy, of the planet, and, of course, the ruling force that's been controlling it and his part in this um, which is, yeah, interesting to say the least. Of course, then Pablo Wairo in that book, Entwined, he um, is becoming Tohonga. He's becoming uh, a warrior priest in the Te Urarua National Park here in the, in the North Island in the Bay of Plenty. And he is the, the planetary consciousness's guardian, Kaitiaki. He's the guardian of his Māori. Kaitiaki is Māori for guardianship or guardian, custodian. He is the he is the guy he's the powerful force that fights for the planet's consciousness and fights for guys of fear. His lineage goes back to Lumuria of this particular Tohonga. But so there you have those two characters who come out and finish that book entwined and become authors. At the end of the last chapter of that book, of each of those two characters, they're both writing the short stories which you will read in The Light Guides the Way and The Darkness Holds Sway. I tried to tell say that all of that <laughs> About 30 seconds of a book trial. <laughs> I, I think I might have failed. <laughs> I gave it a good nudge, though, right? And then, of course, at this time, uh, when I made these trailers, I had actually written, this is in 2014, 2015, I had actually written The Eyes of Love Seal, which is Pablo Wairua's next collection of short stories, and The War Begins to Fall, which is Lord Buford Somerset's next collection of short stories too so I was able to continue on with that dialogue and fill in fill in the, the characters these two characters I hadn't gone into them hadn't started writing Entwined yet oh, sorry United I hadn't started writing United yet I'd finished Entwined back in 20, 2008 and published it in 2010 but I hadn't started writing United yet which is Pablo Wairua's history and also brings in a number of characters new characters and old characters from Entwined and fleshes out their stories and then, of course, finishes with Lord Buford Somerset's 
So no more, read, buy the book, read it. <laughs> so I wrote, uh, I filled in where these characters had got to. I'd written The Light Guides the Way, The Darkness Holds Sway. I had been, uh, I had met, met my muse. It inspired me to write The Eyes of Love See All, Pablo Wadua's book, The Eyes of Love See All. And of course, as a counterbalance to that, Lord Buford Somerset came to me and read, wrote with me The War Begins to Fall. So I had created the very beginning, had started the very beginning of United there. These two books, I didn't quite say this in the book trailers. I didn't quite, I just wanted to continue on with where, they had, where these characters were going and what they'd written about. wanted to give the, the, the viewer the opportunity to see, okay, so these, characters, these two characters are written, these two collections of short stories, The Light Guides the Way, Darkness Holds Way, but they've continued to write, and they've written two more collections of short stories. Right, so they're short story writers now too, and these are the short stories that are written now. To United, <laughs> with you, I hadn't done a book trailer for Sanctum. I had left that alone, but I went straight into United, started writing it. It was like it was a fever dream. I had to get this book out. It was just burning in me, burning, burning, burning desire to get this book finished. I can tell you this: writing that book was easy and powerful. Oh my God, it was so powerful. The integration of all those characters in that book. Working with Adamo Sueno, integration and writing this book, it was like this is the this is me coming to the point where I got up to it that particular date, 2016, 2017, had got to that point where I'd actually had gathered more and more information, had got a deeper knowledge of understanding of the the force behind the curtain and how the system, how this system that we had where we were involved in in 3D, how the simulation could be taken down once and for all, and a paradise could take its place. So that was about what I. That was the reason why I wrote that book. It was the continuation of Entwined, second book in the series. Now all my books, as you know, are called the Shadow and Soul series. This is from Entwined all the way through to Rigmarole, which I haven't finished yet. They're all and called. They're all part of the same series book series called the Shadow and Soul series. Right. Okay. So United, I looked at that book and I finished it and thought, this is. Is this shizzle is a rizzle? Is this stuff is fantastic? And to meet it, to meet how great this is, I'm going to double the budget I had on I had on uh, Entwined. I want to go full Monty on this one. I want to go for it. I want to make it something beautiful and powerful and really special. And to this day, I am super, super proud of being able to conceptualize this, to direct it. And produce it, and do the to do the voiceover for Pablo, and take it to a whole new level. This was this is my magnum opus of book trailers. I love this book trailer. I also got my friend Reese and Carterton to do the voiceover for Marcus, and I got Preston McNeil, who I worked with him again, who he basically did the direction, the art direction with me as well. And also helping to produce it and direct it in regards to the animation, he farmed it out to other animators around the country. Got them all on board to come along and work with me. There's a cat called Troy he got from Fangarei, I believe, to give him, him a hand to do the animation. Who did a, such an amazing job on the animation. Whew. But um, in this trailer, we went full action. We went full action, like special effects. You name it, sound effects, sound engineering. Sean gave me a hand on the sound engineering again. Sean Wilgar did the sound engineering and helped me to produce this book trailer and did a 
recorded a bunch of the voiceovers in this place. Um, we got files from Preston's wife, Faye, who did Mulvarad's voice. And beautiful, powerful voice. <laughs> it was so amazing. She nailed it. Uh, Reese nailed Marcus. Uh, I did Buford's voice, and Sean distorted it to make it sound more iconic, more AI. And also three like, three voices in one. There's the the level of the AI. There's the level of Inky, and there's a level of Buford in that in that voice. All three different voices conglomerate into one correlated voice. One voice contained together with three layers. Let's put it that way. And I did the voiceover, of course, for Pablo. So this book trailer, I only had snippets for each character because there was four characters in this book trailer. There was Pablo at the very beginning. Where his journey sort of you get an idea that you see a Paracas skull, so you know if you, if you know what the Paracas skull is, and you know he's come from South America and he's holding this Paracas skull that moves through the forest, and you see all his eyes looking at him out of the forest. And this is the Te Uruguay National National Park again. He's in the forest in there. It gives you an idea what's going to happen. There's a sense of multi-dimensionality. Multi-dimensionality. Is that the right word? I think so. Multi-dimensionality in that. In that. In that beginning of that trailer, he's looking around and suddenly, boom, you know, it shifts and changes. And then for Marcus, he is at a Marumuru, which is a sacred site where there's a gate there. And I won't tell you more than that because I want you to read the book, but the, the, the power of that gate and the stories of that gate about people that have been there that have experienced some crazy, crazy, and often disturbing experiences in Amarumuru. Yeah, it sounds, Amarumuru sounds pretty scary at certain times of the day, for sure. And it's a place to be revered and respected, for sure. Now, my character, Marcus, has a, has a very interesting experience there in, in, in United. Uh, in United, has a very, very interesting experience. An experience that changes his path and, and takes him eventually back to a place where he needs to go to. But it's more of a saving portal for him. It, more, it saves him from an, an, a very nasty uh, demise. Mulvarad's story. Mulvarad, of course, from from Entwined, the paleo astronomer, paleo archaeo astronomer. And entwined, Buford's uh, lover, and entwined, but it goes the rabbit hole goes way deeper than that with Mulvarad. <laughs> so Mulvarad is my is as far as I'm concerned in this particular scene where I'm, where I'm giving the the viewer a glimpse into her storyline. Let's put it this way: she is slaying Neanderthals with a sword from the ancient first pre-flood. Suma. Swallow that pill. She is slaying Neanderthals with a sword that is from first Suma before the flood. Right? <laughs> so I wanted to give, because to me, well, Morvarad's character becomes the character that she, the, the, the being that she was pre flood. Put it that way. She becomes the being that she was pre-flood. That gives an indication of who she is. And she makes Wonder Woman. She makes Lara Croft. She makes Mara Jade Skywalker look like Girl Scouts. She is the most badass, fiercest warrior in the entire multiverse. And I wanted her to be that way. I wanted her to look that way and move that way in that trailer and come across that way. 
she's the ultimate, the ultimate warrior and feared by all, including the Draconis reptilians. They terrified of her, absolutely terrified of her, because she is the ultimate multiverse warrior. There's nothing or no one, no one in the multiverse that can come close to her. Ability as a warrior, as a compassionate human being, compassionate being, she's not human as be terrestrial human. I'm going to leave it there, but yeah, Morvarid. I'm getting a little bit excited there about Morvarid. She's such an amazing character. She is in this particular trailer here. I wanted to give her just a glimpse, a glimpse, but I've just given you a bit more of an insight into the character. But she's completely badass. And She's she's um, she's awesome in it in United. Her character is pivotal in many 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 ways many ways. And then finally, of course, we have Lord Buford Somerset, and you get the idea where he is when you first see that we're beating up his his uh, segment of the trailer. And I wanted to make sure that people got it right away. Earth Moon. He's in the moon. He's inside the moon in a cell. Inside the moon in a cell. Locked away in the broadcast station, <laughs> so to speak. Yep, and that's um, that was the end of that trailer. I was like, wow, that's, I was like, where do I go from here now? This is like my magnum opus, and I've only I've only done it for what I've only made trailers for six books. I got more to come. Holy doodle, I got more books to pu- to publish. So what happened next was my friend Tabash. Uh, this is the next trailer I did for my short story, which I published on itself, by itself, which is also found in the book, The Eyes of Love See All. Um, my friend Tabash told me that he saw me walking through a forest, reading from this book, the short story book, and then he saw a camera flying over me, like a drone camera flying over me, filming me, walking and reading, and then having my voiceover over as I was walking and reading. And you can hear my voice over in the forest. I told this to Sean. He's like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Let's do it. So we went into the um, Tararua Ranges in the, on the Wadarapa side here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And uh, I walked around barefoot with a copy of the book that I published. Uh, I did a short run of this, of this short story of All Roads Lead to Parihaka by Pablo Wairua. I did a short run of it. And Sean got out all his, all his camera toys, including his drone. <laughs> And uh, he filmed me walking through the forest. It was beautiful forest. Oh, my God, it was amazing. And also being on this enormous swing bridge over this ravine. <laughs> and it's, the drone flew around over the forest, like hundreds of feet above the forest, flew around over the forest and flew over towards me and was hovering, you know, maybe 30, 40 feet in front of me. It was quite, quite an amazing experience. And then he flew it through the forest along a trail, and there was quite a low canopy. And he flew it right, right in front of me as I was walking towards it, which I thought was amazing skill set to be able to do this and able to do this with the with the, with the drone. And the footage was beautiful; the light was perfect, and it was basically exactly what Tabash said it was going to be and how it was going to look. It was just like bang on. It's like oh my god, it's so beautiful. And this is the trailer that you see when you come to the website ohoakibooks.com. The top of the of the, of the page, the home page, you'll see this video, and you'll see this video playing live footage of me in the forest reading a book. Now, if you go to the carousel and choose all those with the Parihaka, you can actually see the entire trailer on there, of course, of me reading the book in the forest and barefoot, um, 
just beautiful forest. So amazing. So thank you, Debash, for that for that uh, heads up for art direction. <laughs> Sean and I produced that and created it. The beautiful thing. And then finally, the last trade I've done for books is sank them. And I didn't want I didn't want to go too balls out on this one. I realized that I've done, I'd gone out and I'd spent a lot of money on all this. I didn't have a lot of money to spend on Sanctum in regards to a trailer at this time. I wanted to keep it simple and effective. And I wanted to keep it in a place where I felt like it was wasn't gonna take anything away from the book because I wanted the, the book is is my magnum opus. I love this book so much. It's a fantastic book, but also for me, it's very autobiographical in many, many ways. And it's the first novel that I wrote, even though I published it after Entwined. The value of it to me, in regards to a sentimental sense, is very deep and very, very. It's a very moving book for me too. It's very powerful. But I wanted to keep it simple, so we took both covers. Of Sanctum that Amber Cobra did the daytime walk, um, Kobe walking through towards the trans, trans alpine, trans alpine, Antarctic mountains, and then of course the night scene as well. Have him walking towards the mountains as well with the, with the um, southern lights over the top of the mountains. And we and Sean went ahead and animated that and did a little, little animation of Kobe walking towards towards the uh, the mountains. And then I did the voices for Kobe. He's African-American. I did it really poorly, but I gave it a shot. And then, of course, I did the voiceover for Teal, who is the character is me. That's, that's me in the book, right? That's me. So I did one of my best did my Teal voice. <laughs> then my friend Aaron did Kathy's voice or Brody's voice in the book, who's the other, who's the other um, major character in that book, Brody. And, of course, Aaron's from Canada. And of course, Kathy's from Canada too, so it was quite fitting that Aaron did that. And we animated it with some words. I read, I wrote all the poems as well, all the poems and all the trailers. And you hear with the trailers. I wrote all those as well. I've done all this. I've, I've written everything uh, and conceptualized and and uh, art direction and and direction directing and producing the whole shebang. I did it all myself. So that the poems, all the words you hear in all these trailers, including Sanctum. I wrote those. The poems for the characters you hear recited and entwined and united. I wrote those as well. I'm not a control freak. <laughs> I mean, I'm just the person that created all the stuff, and that's why I'm saying is that this is all me that does everything here. I do everything. This is what I do. This is this is my passion. I'm passionate about this, and I think that I do a good job <laughs> personally. I'm pleased with what I've done in regards to the trailers. Now, the next trailers I'm going to do, I'm going to do for The Dream of the Flower Sermon and Tears of the Tormented, with the next two books, of course, and A Flickering Light Called Fate. Those three, three books, I've got to do trailers for those, but first things first. I've got to conceptualize them in my mind, and right now I've got so many things going on in my life. I'm doing podcasts, I'm doing videos or vlogs. I'm doing. I'm writing blogs and researching blogs. I'm also upskilling. What I'm doing in um, the full time accelerator, full time purpose accelerator course with Aaron Dowdy and Victor Odo. Uh, I'm holding down a day hustle to be able to pay for my people that are working for me at the moment. My editor, my proofreader, my cover illustrator, my um, Sean who's done my video editing for my videos, doing sound and sound for my videos, putting on text on my videos too. I mean, all this adds up. So I've got to work. 
be able to pay for that until that pays for itself, which will happen. I'm not sure about it. It's going to happen. Uh, and I'm excited about that. Those three books will have a pretty good, pretty cool trailers. I know this too. They'll be great. I have no doubt they'll be great trailers. But the conceptualizing of them and what feels right to me at this point, I feel as though, just to give you a little bit of insight in regards to what I think is going to happen with these book trailers, the two collections of short stories, the Pablo Wairua, The Dream of the Flower, Flower Sermon, and The Lord Buford Somerset, Tears of the Tormented, I'm thinking I'm going to stick with the same formula I used for the other two collections of short stories. I'm going to sit down in a comfy chair <laughs> and shorts going to film me, like a, me being a deer in headlights. Maybe not so much anymore that I've done a few blogs and I'm a bit more, sorry, vlogs, and I'm a bit more comfortable sitting in front of a camera <laughs> than I was back then. And then this is something I should be used to because I've been in many, many movies before. I've worked in movies as extra, as a background extra. They call them, they call them background actors in the States, but you're not an actor, you're an extra. But uh, as an extra, I've had a few, I've been pulled up onto, onto various scenes in movies. The Thin Red Line, I've been pulled up on Xena and, of course, in Hercules as well. I was much, much younger. And, and on Lord of the Rings to do emotional shots, like shots where you the, the, the extras do an emotional kind of like, response behind the lead kind of thing. So this shouldn't be a problem for me. I should be used to getting luggage on, on camera, but I still wince when I see myself on a camera. I don't know what it is. I just see myself on camera and go, ugh, God, really? But, you know, I, I'll be um, sitting in a chair feeling uncomfortable, no doubt, for those two collections of short stories and reeling, waxing lyrical about what's in them. Uh, I finished reading Tales of the Tormented last week after editing it again. Reading my editor's edits on on the on that book, and I love it. Even though I'm not going to write that kind of material ever again, probably in my life, I don't feel drawn to it. I can tell you that uh, the twists at the end of some of those short stories are just wonderful twists. Oh my god! And I cracked up laughing because they were so good, so good. And that's not. I mean, I I write what I like to read, right? That's that's a, that's a given. But yeah, I'm looking forward to doing book trailers for those two. For a flickering light called fate, I can see that I'm using animation around the heart and the hands. I'll be reading a poem to Inga and for Inga, uh, and of course, they'll be writing from me to Inga, but it'll also relate to me as well. But me, the verse will, will encapsulate her and I together, and the flowering, flaming heart in the middle between our hands will be a beautiful animation for a very powerful and beautiful book. A dance called Dwarka, which I'll publish at the end of this year. I have an idea. I have an idea, but uh, bringing in Holly Hamilton along, along in, into this process would be essential for me if I could convince her. She's a very talented singer-songwriter. Very, very, very talented. If I could get her to sing a song in the background, almost sing a song for the book itself, I write a song with her, and she could sing it, and I can have her singing in the background while I'm reading a poem over, uh, over her voice. Not too loud, but almost like with the two voices, are sort of finding a way to, to kind of dance with each other and correlate with each other. That'd be quite special with an animated cover. The cover I have in my mind, I know what it looks like, I know what I want it to, I know what I want it to look like, and I know where the cover I want it to come from. I want the cover to come out of the Sirius star system, like a... Like a a beam of light coming out of that, an animation coming out of that cover, coming to Venus, and then firing across to Earth, and 
zooming in on Earth woof, down to Mauritius, Mauritania. Well, Mauritius is continent. Mauritania is actually in West Africa, but the Mauritian, Mauritian continent, uh, continent it used to be. I can't say the name properly. Mauritania, maybe. Mauritania continent, focusing on that, boom. And then, a, then like a big a big flash in there, and then a line across to Dwarka in India. And then, of course, the cover coming out of that to the screen. Down's called Dwarka. I want to go full Monty on that one because it's a very, very special book to me. It signifies who I've become, the man I am today. And I, that means everything to me. So I want to get it right. So I have to start to save my pennies, save some money for that one, and I don't mind doing that at all. Putting money into that is not a problem to me. It's a, it's a labor of love. It's a passion. It's a passion for me. I'm only too happy to do that. Because it's a very powerful book and for a very amazing human being. So too easy. So there you have it. That's me making book trailers for the last 13 years, almost 14 years of my life, and giving you a further in-depth uh, analysis and a behind-the-scenes look at how I've made these book trailers and how crazy um, it is to make these things and how much fun it is to work with people. I love working with people who, who I give the room to be able to be creative enough to explore their own creative energies and abilities but at the same time, give them a framework to work with, to work with, and say, "Hey, look, this is what I think it could look great." But you, being a creator yourself, what do you think? What else do you think could work? And that back and forth has created some amazing, amazing work. And I'm so happy with all my book trailers, much as I am with the books. Thank you so much for listening tonight, today. For me, it's tonight. For you, it could be today. For you, it could be the morning. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Let's talk again soon. Matewa. See you soon. Dide, dide, ho. Dide, dide, ho. Kia and welcome to Oho Ake Books Podcast. My name is Fareus Lysander. I'm going to talk about my illustrators today, the people that work with me who do illustrations for me and work with me as part of my team. I have two people on my team of illustrators currently. One of them is a cat called Stephen Templer, who's an artist and an illustrator of extraordinary talent, magnificent chap too, fine sportsman. And of course, there's the lovely Amber Cobra, who's been working with me for 13 years. Both of them are very different in their offerings and what they bring to the table and what they bring to my universe, Oho Arke, when they work with me. They both have their own art. They both have their own collections of art. They both have their own worlds that they've created themselves and of course they're both very very talented people 
incredibly talented, in fact. And I'm it's privileged. I'm a privileged man to work with these two amazing individuals. Now you can find Stephen Templer's work at stephentemplar.co.nz. Dreamboat: The Art and Adventures of Stephen Templer, and Amber Cobra, acdesign.co.nz. I'll plug them again at the end of this podcast, but that was me just telling you now about them. Amber Cobra has worked with me for 13 years. I've mentioned this before briefly in my one of my first podcasts that when in 2008, when I first initially began to get in this process of creating the Oho Arca universe, my partner at the time, Brooke, understood that I was going through a pretty rough patch in regards to some people in my life that had actually ripped me off for illustrations that I was going to get for my covers which was a drag, man, a big drag. One of these cats who I gave a lot of money to to do some illustrations for my covers of my books had a drug problem, and he ripped me off, and we're no longer friends because of it. And I feel sad about that. We're no longer friends, but, you know, man, this cat had a serious drug problem, and him and a mate basically devised a cheeky plan to try and, what, to rip me off almost $2,000 New Zealand to take it away and buy this particular substance that they were hooked on. And they did. They they um, they fooled me, and I I was really disappointed. And um, the nature of what happened next was that I had to leave my flat because I was terrified of the people they were hanging out with would come in to my house to look for more means to get more money out of me to buy more of that substance that they were hooked on. And it was highly unpleasant. And uh, I had to move out of the flat. I did eventually. It didn't go down too well moving out of that flat. I wish I actually stayed there for as long as I could have, but I moved out of there. I was a cool place right across the road from Lyle Bay here in Wellington, across from the ocean. And I tell you right now, back then I wasn't surfing, but if I was living back there again now, I'm still living there. The houses are no longer there that I was living in, but if I lived there for longer, I would have been surfing a lot more because I was right across the road from the beach, man. I would have been surfing almost every day I could. But I digress. Brooke came to me and said, look, my friend Jade, who works at a Whanganui Design School, there's a tutor up there. She's a design tutor. How about I ask her if she can get your, her third-year students or her students to do a cut to do an illustration for you, a project for you, to do your illustrations for your cover for you. Now, this is a story I have told before, but I'll tell you again. And I'll expand on the story because I've got more time now to talk about it. So what happened was that I said, that's a brilliant idea. Oh, my God, that's a, that's a fucking brilliant idea. So thanks to Brooke. I got hold of Jade, and Jade said, yeah, it's a really good idea. My students have got something more practical to work with, and I'd love to do that, I'm sure. So she put it to her third-year design students. And I told a couple of my friends, one of them was a, was a cinema, uh, was a film student who had just finished film school. I said, look, I'm going to do this project. I want to go up to Whanganui Design School. I'm going to go up there three times in, th- in about two months, and they're going to do a cover illustrations for me, and I want to go up there. I want to film my process. I want to film the process of me being up there with stills and with camera as well. So... I went up there with my friend Craig, and Craig filmed me driving up there talking about my experience. I don't know where that footage is now, to be honest. I'd love to know where it was, but I drove up there, and we talked about me driving up there while I was going up there, what I was expecting. This is the second time. The first time, um, Brooke and I went to a Whanganui for a weekend together and hung out with Jade for the weekend, and I went and approached the students. I was really nervous, to be honest. I was really nervous about this whole project and sitting down in front of a class full of people, like 30 people. It wasn't really my jam to talk to people at the time like that. I wasn't really – I didn't feel confident in my own public speaking persona. But I, I uh, explained to the, the students that I wanted two covers. 
And those two covers were the covers for the short story collections I just written, which was The Light Goes the Way by Pablo Wairua and The Darkness Holds Sway by Lord Buford Somerset. These are the two collections of short stories, The Horror Macabre, Erotic Dark Fantasy short stories, and the emotional, inspirational, powerful, uplifting, spiritual, conscious, awakening short stories. Part of my Shadow and Soul series, the first two books in the Shadow and Soul series in regards to the short stories. So I went up there and I said, this is what I want to see. I gave them a lot of room, a lot of wiggle room to interpret what I said to them and to find their own way. Because I wanted them to really express themselves in a way that I could be able to see what they were going to bring to the table for me. How they interpreted what I said to them. I didn't give them like, okay, a hard and fast, this is what I want. Bang, 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 bang. It was more like, okay, you're all creative people. You're in this element now. I want you to explore your own creativity. I want you to hear what I say and go through the process of exploring how you would interpret what I say to you and how you go about creating it. So I gave them all that wiggle room and I was blown away. I went away for about two and a half, well, maybe three weeks. I was gone away from them. I went back there to see the first drafts, a lot of the work that they had done. And I was just blown away by the level of skill that these students were creating the artwork for the covers their interpretations were so vivid, so powerful. They had taken what I said in regards to what the characters looked like and interpreted them in a very different way often, but in a way that was was certainly beautiful. And I loved every single cover that I saw pretty much. Almost all of them, I loved them all. I thought, wow, I'd love to use all these covers for books. I really would. This was the first draft when I first saw them. I gave them a few hints here and there. Asked them to change a few things, asked them to move around a few things, and got a bit more in depth with the characters and gave them a bit more of an idea of the characters themselves, what the characters were like, and what I wanted them to interpret in regards to the, the characters' formation throughout that story collection and how they'd be at the end of that book after writing these books. It was really important to get to that place as well with them. So Craig was up there with me on the second time we went up there, and he filmed me in the car driving up there talking about my experience, what I was expecting. And we got to the design school. I walked into the room where the students were working, and I got a bunch of stills of me walking through and looking at a bunch of the of the images that were that were being presented to me at the time. And like I said before, I was just blown away by the quality of the work. I didn't pick Amber on the spot on the first draft. I saw her work and thought that's really amazing work. I really liked it right away. When the moment I saw it, it was eye catching in regards to how she interpreted what I asked of her. That was the big thing right away for me. And also the use of colors. Now she, I asked her, what colors would you be using with this particular design? And she said, this, 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 and this. And I was like, oh, yeah, rich, earthy colors. I like that already. I like the earthy colors. I like the sense of the nature of where you're going with, with the covers, the colors of on this co- in these covers. I like the design already. I like where you're going with that. Mm, this is fantastic. So I filmed it, took pictures and stills, went back to Wellington, I was thrilled with this process. It was like, wow, I'm, I'm really, I feel like I was part of something quite special and quite wonderful and really blessed to have this experience. Thanks to Jade and to Brooke. Went back on the third time for the last part of my process and Craig was there too with me filming my actual, my, my thank you to all the students and I chose Amber. Now I can't quite remember what happened in regards to me choosing Amber and me working with her at the time when I actually said to her, hey look, I'm so appreciative of your work. I want to work with you. I can't remember the moment, the time, I've done a lot of things since then. It's been 13 years. What I know that is that when I chose her work, I was just like thrilled. I was so thrilled to have the opportunity to work with her. 
Now, Amber and I have worked together for 13 years, and she's done various covers for me, interpreted various covers for me, but I've always given her enough wriggle room to be able to interpret things the way that she chooses to, and I let her have that room to be creative. I still have a quite strong impression of what I'd like to see, but the thing with Amber is that her intuitive ability to work with me now is quite profound. If I give her a skeleton, she'll fill in all the bones and the muscles and the sinews of that, of that cover, make it into a body of work, take in all the finer details of the, of the network of, the, of blood capillaries and veins and also arteries and, and organs, all the things that make up a book cover, you think, okay, this is what I want to see from me personally. This is what I want to see. I imagine in my head what it looks like right away. I kind of get a strong impression, a strong image of what I want to see in regards to a book cover. It comes in like an overlay. Boom, I see it brightly and clearly in my mind, how it's going to look, what, what's going to be, how the feeling is of the book cover. What do I feel when I see it? What do I see when I see colors? What do I, what do I envision when I see this particular book? Well, how does it feel to open up the first page of it? How does it feel to be able to read the first few words? How is that book cover going to be a beautiful introduction to that book? How is it going to signify what you're about to experience when you open it up and read it? Those are very important things for me. How, when someone sees the book cover, are they, how are they going to be, what's the first impression that they're going to feel? Are they, are they going to want to look at it and pick it up and read it? Now, I mean, pick it up and read it in a way that's not going to be in a handheld way because all my books are e-books. Are they going to see it and go, oh, I want to buy that book? What I mean by pick it up, pick it up in regards to having a Kindle or an e-reader or a computer and go, oh, I want to buy this book. I want to read it right away because the cover's pulling me in to find out what's going on more about it. What's what's going on inside? I want to know more about this book. I want to know more about what the writer has written in this book. Most covers I see in regards to books, a lot of them I see are just like, Yawn. Just, they're almost. They're almost. In some way, I think they're almost formulaic. They're almost formulaic, and you know, it's the marketing process that for big publishing companies that make shit books, great books. You know, and of course, that's subjective to me. It's always going to be subjective. But for me, great artwork on the cover of a book might. You know, for some people, it might take away the essence of what the book's about. They might see the great artwork and think, "Oh, amazing artwork." But I'm not sure about the, how the book's going to resonate with me, if, it, if at all. Other people look at the artwork on a book and go like, oh, that's just, yeah, that looks, looks like shit to me. I'm not even going to bother to pick it up. I'm not even going to bother to read the back of it, the synopsis. But for me, this is a composite process, this process of having the book covers and, in, and the actual writing itself inside of the book that I want them to match. I want them to have a, an equal playing ground. And you can pick up that book, you can look at that book and go, I'm going to buy that book. And the moment you read, start open it up and start reading it, you understand why the cover looks exactly the way it looks. You get a greater understanding of why the cover is looking like that, why it looks that way. Why did the why did the writer create a cover that looked like that? Because I want you, want the reader, to read my books and go, ah, oh, that's why the cover looks like that. This scene in the book, or this particular character, or the author's situation is why the cover looks like this. Oh, the author comes from there? Ah, oh, okay, that's why the cover looks like that. And all the stories basically come from there? Ah, oh, that's why the cover looks like that. Oh, that story's in the book. That's why the cover's like that. Ah, oh, that's why there's that there and that there. I see. That's why there's whales in that cover. Ah, oh, yeah. Now I get it. Okay. Right. And the stars. Okay. Now it all makes sense, you know? I want people to be able to pick up my books and say, I want to buy that book. It looks amazing. The cover looks incredible. 
And that's part of my process as well, but is to have that understanding for me anyways, I've gotten into the creative energetic expression that I have someone working with me that understands where I'm going with this and what I'm, what I'm creating. And Amber has been instrumental for me in regards to where I've gone with this. And I, I got a cover back from her from A Flickering Light Called Fate, which is my book of poetry, my cathartic book of poetry about Inga and I and our relationship, like the two years I spent with her. And I gave Amber a pretty clear picture of what I wanted to see, and she sent me back something that just blew my fucking mind. Just like, wow. The back cover of that book. So I was, I was going to do a, a short run of copies of hard copy or paperbacks of this book. Because I didn't, I thought the book was only like 30, 40 pages long. But when I got the book back from my proofreader and my editor, I discovered the book was over 70 pages. I was like, okay, you know, right now I'm doing full time podcasts, full time doing videos, full time learning, upskilling, thanks to Aaron Doughty and Victor Odo's full time purpose accelerator course. I'm also trying to hold down a day job where I can actually get some jobs. I should say I'm holding on. My day job is all those things. I'm also researching, doing writing blogs, and I'm also looking to try and maintain a place where I'm actually acting out of a practical sense, making some money. And I'm going back to my old hustle, which is painting, interior, exterior, decorating. I'm doing that, doing trying to do one or two jobs a month to pay for all that I'm going through, the processes I'm going through to pay my rent, pay my bills, to pay the people that work for me still because I'm stopping bills coming in for my, my publishing company. So I'm doing all of that. And then also I'm trying to maintain friendships with friends and create new friendships with certain friends as well. So I've got this ridiculous balance of things I'm teetering and I'm so busy. It's crazy. But I can't really... At this time in my life, I do not choose to, I should say. I can. I can, but I'm choosing not to do any, any publications other than ebooks because it keeps my costs down. Eventually, I want to do a KDP series. I really do. I have all the back covers for all the books as well because Amber's gone through that process with me as well and created back covers for the books for all of them, pretty much. And I do want to have paperbacks. I'm, I am a tactile guy. I want to hold a book in my hand. I love that feeling of holding a book in my hand. And the day that I have a box arrive at my house with all my books in it that I've written will be the most glorious day of my life to be able to hold in my hand and sniff the pages, sniff, sniff the paper, look at it, feel it tactile in my fingers, peel the pages back, look at it. I mean, wow, incredible experience. So Amber and I have worked together since, since 2008, and I've seen the various covers that she's created for me over the years. And there have been many. I've gone through many, many changes in certain books. I've been drawn to certain covers and created new covers for old books. I've given Sanctum three covers over the years. Uh, the first one was inspired, but I really looked at it and I thought, no, this is not what I want. The second one and the third one I got from Amber, one's a, is Kobe walking on the Antarctic ice towards the mountains in the middle of the continent in the daytime, and there's an illustration of Kobe walking into the Antarctic continent at nighttime with the southern lights coming over uh, his head in the sky. Now, I chose for the ebook the Southern Lights uh, nighttime image, which is powerful to me, very, very powerful, given the nature of how the story plays itself out. And that's probably, you know, and that, that alone for me is probably the, that cover there is the most stirring of all my covers of books. I find that really stirring and quite emotional when I look at that cover because I know what Kobe's journey is like and how much he sincerely trusts in the process 
his conviction, his determination, his sense of trust and surrender to that trust, and that deep, 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 deep knowing something else, man. And that's who I want to become. I want to become this character. And this is something I'll talk about in another blog. But back to the illustrations. So Amber has created a new cover for me for A Flickering Light Called Fate, which is E. Hall Grace's collection of poems. That's the last cover she's done for me. And she's got another cover coming by the end of the year for a dance called Dwarka, which is my book for Holly Hamilton, which is also beautiful. I imagine that Amber's interpretation of that book, her book that book cover, will be just as spectacular, if not more, and it'll be the icing on the cake in regards to the last 14 years of work. It'll be 14 years of me working with her. I'm really excited about that. Really, really excited about that. Now, I've known Stephen Templer. For many years, many, many years. Now, unfortunately for Wellington, Stephen Templer was and always will be to me part of the Wellington furniture. He is an institution in Wellington. He's basically, he's been instrumental in so many artistic projects in the city and so many fun things that he's created in the city. A sense of community in the city, in Wellington City itself, in regards to certain suburbs where he's been living for many, many years until he moved away from there two years ago was just massive. He was part of this Wellington community creatively, more so than anyone I've ever met in this, in this city since being here since, since 2002, 2003. Him and his friend Calvin Harris, they were, to me, they were like the creative nexus that Wellington's creativity moved around for many, 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 many years. And it's really a shame to say this, that him moving to Auckland up into Kumu because he could get funding for artistic endeavours in Auckland where the funding has all moved to, is sad because, you know, to lose an icon like this to Auckland, to me, is heartbreaking. I know he's happier up there now. He's got a tiny home that he built himself, which is beautiful, beautiful two-story tiny home uh, on wheels on a trailer, and also he's decorated the entire place, painted the entire tiny house himself with his own art. If you go onto his website, which is stephentemple.co.nz, and look at... If you scroll down the page, you'll see street art and walls. You'll see Stephen standing in front of his house truck with a picture of a beautiful image that he's painted on the back of his house truck. And uh, it's quite spectacular, quite spectacular. And I think it's probably the color use, but also the brevity of the color. And the use of only a few colors still brings out the power of the image that he's painted on the back of his house truck. Quite spectacular. So he's moved up to Kumu in Auckland from Wellington after being here for many, 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 many years. And so has Calvin as well. They brought land up there with the three other friends, well, four other friends. Well, there's actually four of them all together. Not there's two of them, Calvin and Stephen, and two other friends as well. Have brought land up there in Kumu, and they all live up there now. And they've got mad props. Stephen used to do a whole bunch of work for Lord of the Rings. Now Peter Jackson, uh, he was basically the person, one of the people that was instrumental in creating a lot of the Elven architecture and Elven jewellery and elven clothing and all the Rivendell art and a lot of the Rivendell expression in that movie, you'll see it's all, a lot of that Stephen's, Stephen's design. He's instrumental so he's been brought onto Lord of the Rings an Auckland TV series and he's been working on that for about almost eight months I think almost finishing up pretty soon I imagine July I think they said they're finishing up for the series so he and I have been friends for a long, long time. We played cricket together for a while, indoor cricket for a while, which is quite classic, through a friend of mine, Tom Beauchamp, or Beauchamp. I call him Beauchamp. It sounds cooler, and it's more appropriate for Tom. <laughs> now, Tom and I and Stephen go back a long way. We met each other back in 2004, 2005. 
Now I asked Stephen to come on board to do some illustrations for me for my for my uh, my covers my my authors excuse me my, my authors not my covers. I said to him, look, would you be interested in doing some author images for me for my authors the authors that that write with me and through me? And he said, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to do that. So initially, I told him what I perceived to be the authors. This is Armand Sueño, Pablo Wairua. Lord Buford Somerset and Eho Grace. I haven't given him a description of Dick Swab yet. It'll come probably in the new year, in 2022, I think, before I publish that book, when I, when I eventually get around to finishing it, because right now it's almost impossible for me to do anything other than the content I'm doing right now for my website and for, my, uh, for YouTube and for podcasts, eventually for Spotify and for iTunes. And also hold down my day, my day hustle and also study Victor Odo and Aaron Dowdy's full-time purpose accelerator. <laughs> And hold on, something akin to a social life. I mean, it's just madness. I'm so fucking busy. It's crazy. But Stevie's illustrations, I told him what I perceived these characters and what they were to me, right? How they interacted with me and the books themselves, how I perceived their, their natures, how I perceived their ability to delve into different worlds, how I looked at their ability to interpret their visions and their, their, their clear audience, so that what they were being told and what they were, what they were seeing, and I felt also it was really important to give the origins of these particular authors as well, and what had happened to them during this, this story. So, I, I took Pablo Wairua from Entwined and took his history, his genetic history, and where he where he come from, as far as his father had come from, where his mother had come from, and where he was basing himself, where he had moved through his childhood before I even written United. I I told Stevie about how Pablo would move from Bolivia where his mother would take him back to as a wee, very small child, would move from Bolivia into Peru, into Peru to the coast, then to Rapa Nui, then to, and then eventually to Aotearoa, New Zealand, where he'd come and trained to become Tohonga. So Stevie did me a beautiful illustration with magical, deep, vibrant, earthly colours for Pablo and made this gorgeous illustration that brought in together both Aotearoa and South America and South America and the Andes and Machu Picchu. And I was like, wow, just blown away by the, his origin stories and where he'd come from. And of course, the incident that happens at the end of Entwine, he brought in the Miss Maiden as well, which was quite special. I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. Man, amazing work. And then with uh, Lord Buford Somerset, I brought in Morvarad, who's an instrumental character in United, but she has a big part to play as well. In, entwined, and if you go back and look at her history, it's quite fantastic. And I wanted her to be, to be a part of the image of Buford Somerset. I wanted to have the image of him from the end of Entwined, where he's sitting in front of the fire, scribbling away on a pad and paper, all these tales that are filling his head. But I wanted to also bring in the element of the, his possessor, the being that's in his body, that's sharing his body in order to survive. I'm not going to say any more than that because I want people to read the book and find out for themselves who their entity is and why they need to be in his body and what happens to him at the end of Entwined and why this particular scene is so important. So I have Buford Somerset sitting in his wheelchair in front of the fire. Stephen put him in a, smoking a cigarette and his, in his smoking jacket, which was fantastic, I thought, because of the period piece where he's sort of doing this and where he's come from. And, of course, the, the big, tall reptilian character next to the fireplace. I won't tell you who that is. You have to read the book to find that out. And then behind him is Morvarad, 
in her beautiful pre-entwined and pre-historical clothing from a long, long time ago. We're talking antiquity, we're talking antediluvian Morvarid, how she would have looked, not in the book itself entwined, but how she would have looked when Buford's character, his consciousness, <laughs> first met her. Let's put it that way. And then with Armand Sueño, I told Stephen that he's a guy that walks the line between the light and the dark. He's a guy that is the epitome of the yin-yang symbol where he's basically in the middle of, it, of the yin and yang. He's able to look into the depths of the darkness with the light of awareness. And by doing that, can bring the two together and mold them together to create a vivid and clear image and walk that line between the light and the dark. And this is my this is Armand Sueño. For some reason, I really I saw Armand Sueño standing up with one leg on a wooden chair, bare feet, standing there on this wooden chair. One day, I saw him standing there in front of me, one leg on a wooden chair, his arms crossed on his front leg, just looking at me, just staring at me and smiling at me. And I thought, wow, brown suit, grey hair, looking like a cross between Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And sort of a Rapa Nui native, looking very much this this kind of this mestizo flavour, this beautiful man with an enriching deep glare and a deep entrancing latific grin on his face, looking at me going like, "Welcome, welcome to my world." And I was like, "Holy shit, amazing!" And of course, Stevie Stephen took that information like I shared with him and made this incredible image. Incredible image which blew my mind when I saw it. I was like, oh my God, that is just so fantastic. I was so happy. So, in all the books that I've written as these three, with these three characters, these parts of myself, you'll find one of the first pages you'll find in the books, in the ebooks, is an image of the illustration. And this goes for the same thing as well for the Ehor Grace books that are coming out as well. I've got an Ehor Grace image as well, which I'll talk about in a moment. But I wanted to get also one more image from a friend of mine I still work with, Sam Wise Lee, Sam Lee, who in, in his own right is an amazing artist, incredible artist. And I said to him one day, hey, look, I want to get an image of this particular character, and I want your interpretation of this character. This is what he's going to look like. And Sam drew me the most lifelike portrayal of Armand Sauvignon. And it's kind of spooky but as well, because even though it's on the website, I haven't put it in any of the books because I wanted to remain true to my to my feeling that I wanted to have Stevens and illustrations in my books. But it's kind of spooky how Sam interpreted what I said to him, I think, personally, when I look at the, his image of Alon Sueño. It's it's spooky in the sense that it feels like it's he's really there in front of you looking at you and staring at you in the face and looking into the depths of your soul when you look at the image of him. It's very lifelike. He looks very ancient. <laughs> And and looks like he's almost able to to read you and draws you in. Come come with me. Come look at what I'm going about to come read with come read read the books that I've written. Let me share with you what I've what I what I know, if you dare. You know, this kind of powerful glance. I love Samwise uh Sam's image. It's fantastic. I really love it. But I didn't feel like for a moment that I saw I saw it, I wanted to use it. In any of the books, I wanted to remain, remain true to Stephen's images, and I really felt, still to this day, feel as though Stephen's images portray what I am bringing to these books. In regards to the information, in regards to the in regards to the, the content within those books, 
Now, finally, Ihor Grace. Ihor Grace, my poetic heart, my poetic heart, Ihor Grace. So that only became really apparent to me after I, after really, probably in the middle of last year, really the middle of last year in, in 2020. And that was only because I'd done the work. I'd done the work enough to be able to clear the way, clear away all the, all the overgrowth of my own personal wounding, and I began my own shadow work to pull away all those, all that garden, all that foliage that had kept him, me from understanding that my heart, my poetic heart, had a face. It was a being. It wasn't just a, a, a feeling, an emotive feeling of, of, I want to write, write poetry, I want to be a poet. It wasn't like that at all. It was, it was actually a part of myself. It was always there, waiting for me to pull the branches away, maybe waiting for me to clear away all the, the overgrowth. And there he was. This beautiful Māori man who looked like Lord Byron, this Lord Byron Māori man who just had who loved woman, who loved nature, who loved men, who loved, who just loved for the sake of loving. Whereas deep, inspiring, powerful words would be emotive, would be, would be seductive, would be enriching and uplifting. And this is Ihor Grace. This is this is Ihor Grace. And I said, Ihor Grace to me, Stephen, is a man who has a kaleidoscope of, of verse, and he rides in a waka, which is a canoe. And a canoe, he rides in a waka across the, across the multiverse. And all the languages he hears from all these beings across the universe, and the multiverse, I should say, across the multiverse, he listens to them and hears them, and he channels that energy through his heart. And what he does from there, he puts it out into the world through poetic verse and in English. In the English version of that, what he hears. He interprets it and puts it out to the world, for people to hear it. He uses the entire lexicon of language, but his language is colorful, it's spectacular, it's kaleidoscopic, it's deep and emotive and powerful, uplifting, poignant, spectacular and bewildering. So Stephen interpreted that with this amazing vista of his canoe going through this kaleidoscopic, multidimensional river that's flowing across the sky and the stars and Ihor Grace is paddling the canoe, the waka, through the stars, through the multiverse, as any poet would, reciting poetry as he moves through this magnificent vista, through this infinite creative universe, multiverse, and quite special too. And I'm quite thrilled to be able to (laughs) Have that image. When I first saw that, I was like, "Oh my God, he's done it again. He's just mad. he's gone. He's, he's done it better than he did last time. He's done. It. I mean, every time he gets better and better and better." Armand Sueño was mind blowing. Pablo Waro was just like, "Wow, you've you've nailed it." Lord Beautiful Somerset completely nailed it again. And of course, now with Ihor Grace, wow, just taken to a whole new level of interpretation and imagery. And I'm stoked, so stoked that I can put this image. This beautiful image in this beautiful book that I've written for Inga, A Flickering Light Called Fate. So once again, Stephen Templer, you can find him, Stephen Templer, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-T-E-M-P-L-E-R.co.nz, dream book, The Art and Adventures of Stephen Templer, illustrator, artist, extraordinaire. He's got some pretty cool shit on there, man. He's got street art, wall art, 
Alton Mater and Box Art, Tea Towel Prints, Commission Projects, Children's Books. He's written, he's, this cat has written children's books, illustrated children's books, which have been amazing prints, project positive animations, Uncle Birdies, which he did, I did a voiceover work with Jermaine Clement from uh, Flight of the Concords. Stephen was in that as well. He did a bunch of artistic interpretations, but also did voiceover work for that as well because Stephen is a very multi-talented man, let me tell you what he can do. There's no nothing he can't do. He is, he is multi-talented. He's a performance artist. He's a dancer. He's an illustrator. He's an artist. He's an amazing sportsman. He's a great commentator. He's, he could make the most fantastic podcast. He's, he's a, a brilliant raconteur, brilliant raconteur, and a true character, true character. The Sausage Circus is also part of his portfolio, and uh, you can find him there. It's devintemple.co.nz. The Sausage Circus, <laughs> that's something you want to see. You want to get a chance to see that at some point. Like one of those old peep show thing where Jiggy's on on a on a, on a old pram kind of a four wheel pramy kind of thing. Um, you push along and you look inside the, the panorama, uh, the box, and you get and he took, one of his friends turns a handle and you see these puppets do things inside this inside this box. It's beautiful, vintage, fantastic stuff. Amazing character, Amber Cobra Design. Now the website I'm looking at, I think I'm sure that Amber hasn't touched it, hasn't gone back to it for a while looking at it, but I can see that it's beautiful. You'll find on there her welcome, welcome page, more about her, more about her work. You'll see that all the work she's done there. You can contact her there on, on her own homepage. And you can see the number of projects that she's worked on. But she, Amber's been quite busy over the last few years with a young family. And, of course, that would take up a lot of her time. So for me, I've given her a wide berth and I'm able to be able to still work with her because I want to continue to work with her. So I've taken a step back and concentrate on doing other projects. But you can find her work, AC Design, A-C-D-E-S-I-G-N.co.nz, Amber Cobra. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Mate wa. I'll see you soon. Ho. Did it, did it.